Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics with your hosts, Ben Husson and me, Sean Hannum. Welcome to episode 37 of Sports, Clicks, and Politics. Sorry for the uh, one-minute late start. Uh, technical difficulties. Mr. Husong, thank you for joining us. Uh, how was your weekend? V- big Valentine's Day, love in the air yeah. kind of stuff? Yeah, it was good. Had, went out to dinner with my wife. We had a nice uh, nice meal over at the India Grill out in Camillus. Okay. Fantastic Indian food, if that's nice. your thing. No, really yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah, I've had... I've, Dabbled in some Indian food. That's good to know. Yeah, really good. Um, excellent. So, How about you? How's Valentine's Day? Uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't go out because I won't wear a mask, so um, we're going to celebrate Valentine's Day some other day this year when masks are not a thing. Um, I would have bet pretty I good money that, that you are like an anti-Valentine's Day guy. Um, so maybe you've heard the story of my girlfriend and the one time that I bought for her flowers. I've not heard this story. Okay, so we've been dating 20 years now. Sure. 20 years, almost on the nose. And uh, she, I thought it was for Valentine's Day, but she's sure that it was for her um, dental hygiene graduation ceremony that I bought her flowers. But when I did so, I told her that this would be the one and only time that she would ever receive flowers from me. And she proceeded to hang them on the wall for over two years. They were dusty and crusty and broken. And when we moved, she wanted to move them with them. I'm like, we're not taking these with us. Like, these are not being moved. So <laughs> you there's my flower sap. star. You so I, I don't know if you're right that I don't celebrate Valentine's Day, but. I got that going for me. I, listen, I bought my wife. They're dead. I flowers bought my wife dead. flowers one time, and she literally, <laughs> I gave them to her, and she said something to the effect of, "It's really nice, and I appreciate them. I don't, I don't like flowers because they awesome. die." And I was like, "No, maybe she should have passed that gene down to my girlfriend. That would have yeah. been a much better." Thing. The reality is, she had full on told me about this before, but I forgot and bought her flowers. Because okay. that's who I am as a husband, and God love her for putting right. up with me. But I bought her flowers, and she's like, yeah, you remember when I told you I, I don't like flowers because it, it makes me sad when they die? Like, I wasn't kidding. Like, right. That's on yeah, me. So that's the right mentality. So that's good, on, me. good on her. I Listen, it worked out well. I, yeah. I haven't bought flowers since, I don't no. think. I mean, I buy chocolate. That's what she likes. Uh, I mean, listen, there's nothing wrong with chocolate. All right. We so, have, like, a standing thing where for every, every holiday, Valentine's Day, birthday, everything else, we buy the other something and then a six-pack of beer. Like she got me Guinness for Valentine's Day. I like. Oh, well, I love the beautiful. Yeah, I know beautiful. it's great. So, all right. So before we get into the show, I haven't. I don't uh, remind myself to do this enough. So right now, before we go any further, go down and subscribe to our channel. Yeah. Hit the like button. Hit the bell. You'll be notified for our uh, new content. We're posting new content a little bit more frequently recently because we're going to start posting. Uh, sm- smaller, shorter clips of these shows for some of the specific topics. So you'll be notified when those are launches. So do all those things before we move forward. Go check us out on Facebook, follow us there, and be sure to share us. So um, that's the only way we're going to get the show to grow. Uh, you will notice we did have, uh, Ben, I, I forgot to mention this too, so I want to thank our one, our first show uh, contributor, uh, donated as a monthly uh, recurring donation. You can see that right through the scrolling ticker at the bottom if you go to the uh um, our, our page at the, uh, anchor.fm. Um, there is a way you can contribute to the show. So if you want to do that, you can do a one time or recurring or whatever, but we got our first one. So we're, we're often pacing. I'm so like, I don't know if the word is humbled or, or blown away that somebody thinks we're worth $5 a month. Like I'm actually really touched by yeah, that. That's, no, that's awesome. thank you. So that's fantastic. Um, the more the merrier. And obviously that just helps us keep doing what we do here. Um, obviously we're, I don't pay Ben to show up here. He just does it on his own free time. So, 
Because um, I have so much of it. That's yeah. what's really nice. All right. So let's. We don't really have much to talk about in sports here. It's kind of like a kind of a. I don't know the dead bat era, hey, the dead story. Pebble era Beach of the, Program, Daytona Five Hundred. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, <laughs> I'm just listen, the Pebble I'm Beach sorry. thing is. I, I don't know. I can't do the pro am thing anymore. I, I don't blame you. It's fun to watch. I, just I don't mean, care. for a couple minutes, like, sure. you're like oh whatever. But then it's just I can't watch it. I'm in for. I rather watch good shots, and they don't show enough of those. They show you know Bill goofy Murray. people. And Bill Murray's fun to watch. He's but, great. And even the Daytona Five Hundred. I'm so sorry to any of our huge NASCAR fan following, which I'm. I don't think we have, but maybe. Uh, I just I, I couldn't care less. About yeah. NASCAR, I'm, I like I, I. It's a great thing. It's a great skill. I'm not diminishing this sport. I'm not. I'm not taking away any of the, um, the intricacies, the strategies, and all that. I think it's incredible. I just can't get into it. Yeah, no. And I, I looked briefly and see if I wanted to engage the uh, NASCAR DraftKings uh, arena, but I just never have made that plunge. So here I am. Next year? No, I don't <laughs> think so. Um, we did have kind of a sports-related news. If you want to touch on it, Mark Cuban. Kind of made some news. Uh, he's the owner bit. of the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA. Um, I think this has actually been happening all year. So they're probably, I don't know, 30, uh, 25, 30 games into the season. So maybe they've had, I don't know, 10, 12 home games so far. And they're not playing the national anthem before their home games. Um, it was kind of an announcement, really, about it recently. But I think they've been doing it all year. Or maybe somebody just kind of wrote an article about it. But it kind of became a thing this week. Um, I don't know. Do you have any hot takes on the national anthem? It's that wasn't something that I you know, was thinking about I was going to do a whole episode on here. But I, I don't know. We didn't have much to talk about in sports. So do you have yeah, any Mark Cuban sense. national anthem takes? Um, Listen, I'm not a big hot take guy, and I am a pretty much it's your thing. You do whatever you want with it. And is it going to piss some people off? Yep. You're going to – you'll probably lose some people, particularly in the state of Texas, that are not going to agree with the decision. I don't know that I agree or disagree with the decision. I'm more um, – I think it's just sad that we've gotten to this place. That where this is even a... The song is actually a topic. Yeah, like it's like a lightning rod of, uh, oh, we're going to kneel, we're not going to kneel, we're going to stand, and everybody's turning on it. Like, I, I, I just find it so disheartening that this is what we've gotten to. Now, listen, candidly, I, I'm not a huge fan of kneeling during the anthem. It's uh, I'm not telling anybody they don't have the right to do it. It's just I, I'm not going to get on board with the support for you. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One is obviously my own personal background of being in the military and losing friends and everything else. And I know that's not the point. Please don't misunderstand me. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying it's outwardly disrespectful, but at some point that does. Um, it just hits me a little bit wrong. And I'm not telling anybody else they have to feel the same way about it. It's just for me after witnessing some of those things and, and losing some of these people. It just it kind of rubs me the wrong way of like. Hey guys, this isn't this. Is, I, I get you're you're on for your cause or whatever else, but this is. I'm just not a huge fan. Uh, and the flip side of that is, I I happen to be friends with a lot of police officers. I have a lot of police officers that are clients. So if you you want to go through the idea of like, well, it's all just for against the anti police brutality. Which listen, I I'm not pro police brutality by any means. Nobody but, is right. Like I'm not I'm not out here cheering for people to do. And I know this stuff happens. Please again, I'm not I'm not diminishing it. Um talking to them and how it hits them and it's just uh i don't know all things together not a not a huge fan yeah and and, i mean obviously we know the intentions of the neil was to draw attention to something that obviously it's not drawing attention to it's drawing something to completely something else and it's kind of become this whole other thing um i'm not necessarily a a huge proponent of making sure that all the games have the national anthem I, i you know i don't know why sports have been singled out as some uh, 
entertainment area where we play the national anthem, I could see for sure some some appropriate reasons. Uh, maybe in like the Fourth of July or Veterans Day, or if, you know, for some reason we were in some kind of wartime or or whatever. There's there, I right. can, you know, a president uh, passing or something. I could see some some areas where hey, okay, this seems appropriate. Um, I'm not sure that it necessarily diminishes the national anthem by playing it during every game, but I don't know that it it's required for us it to be able to play. Yeah. It just seems something that I don't, I don't know if it's out of place. It's, it just seems superfluous. Is that the word? It's a little bit forced. It's but. over the top. And I think that for a lot of people, it is a, it becomes like this. If you're for, if you're like, if you say anything along the lines of like, yeah, we probably shouldn't be playing it. Like, Oh, well you're just not a Patriot and you right. hate America. Like, no, yeah, that's not, no, that's not it. I just think it's kind of, I think it's unnecessary. Is it? Is it good? Yeah. Do I stand and take my hat off? Yeah, every time. Yeah, I believe the history of the national anthem has like real like cool backdrop, right? Like I think it was like done by like spontaneously from crowds during World War One at some baseball games. So that's a really cool rendition of the national anthem. Um, I'm not sure it needs to be forced onto every game of every season of every sport. I don't know. It right. just seems something that I don't know. And like I said, you know. I'm not going to get into the NFL, but the whole NFL and the Pentagon, they have their own agreement, and that's turned into a whole marketing thing for them on that side. It's more than just a national anthem in the NFL. Um, not, so much, not so much in the NBA here, but I don't know. I thought it was interesting, so I don't know. If you guys have some hot takes, you can kind of lead them for us here. Um, I don't want to gloss over it, but we didn't really have much in sports to talk about here. And I guess I, I find myself more or less ambivalent on it. Of I'm not a, a fan of the Dallas Mavericks. I'm not, I'm not against them either. I, I'm sort of indifferent all the way around. And if this is what they want to do to sort of get people to stop fighting over this and get rid of the issue, it's not the worst solution ever. I, I guess that truly. There probably is no good solution at this point. No. And, um, you know, Mark Cuban, think, he's a little bit of a lightning rod himself, so yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure that he... Whatever he did was going to be the right thing, I guess. But I guess this is what I find sad about it is that there is no good solution at this point. There's something that should be so innocuous and so um, just like basic level of it's the national anthem. We live in a country. Is the country perfect? God, no. Is there hugely problematic issues with this country? Absolutely. Um, but it ultimately is a, by comparison to most other places it's still a pretty good place to live like anybody who's here yeah, still pick chooses to be yeah. here so you're choosing to stay here for a reason there's nothing stopping anybody from leaving so if you're not leaving it means there's something about it that you at least like i mean there's liberal land you ever been to liberal land i have no idea what you're talking about it's a libertarian country is it really yeah where is it's it it's a real country uh i don't know some unclaimed territory i feel like in the baltics heck yeah that's yeah, like all mountains but you get to do whatever you want it's like completely Liberland. I'm kind of intrigued. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you some information. Please do. I might want to go check this out. But in the meantime, like, look, good good for Mark Cuban, I guess, or bad for him if that's your particular yeah. point of view. I just, I find myself thinking, all right, it's probably going to become more common. Somebody had to start it. And the teams just don't want to deal with this any longer. And that's what's really so sad right. is, look, this should be something where instead of focusing on all of the different things dividing us by all, whatever, color, creed, race, religion, everything else, like, maybe we could just, I, I guess I'm in with you, actually, of, like, I don't think we should be playing it before every game. But if we're going to, maybe just stand up, take your hat off for the two minutes that it takes. And that doesn't mean that you support police brutality. That doesn't mean, it's the same way of, like, look, if I started a protest because I wanted everybody to be viewed the same, so I went around and started burning Black Lives Matters flags before every event I did, you'd probably have an issue with it. Even if I said, well, no, it's not anti-Black Lives Matters just because I want all lives to matter. 
it would still rub you the wrong way because of the past, because of what it means to you personally. And I have no right to expect that you would have that you would be okay with me doing that just because. Well, that's not the exact message I'm spending. Yeah, I was say, some of the hard part to me about the, the flag specifically um, is like, how do you make somebody respect something or you know cherish something? Like, it's hard to right. demand that of somebody else, right? So, like, you don't know where they're coming from, you don't know what they're thinking about during this whole thing. So. I don't know. We didn't have much to talk about sports, so I kind of wanted to touch on that. Um, yeah. And listen, if you want to keep kneeling, God bless you, keep kneeling. I'm not telling anybody what to do. Just if you're wondering why some people are not, like, rabidly opposed to you but not really supporting you either, it's because our perspective's a little different on it. That's all. Like, uh, something about if you have somebody, that, like a friend of yours that has been buried and have that folded-up flag, it just hits you a little different. I, and I'm not telling everybody else that they have to have that shared experience, but just understand some people do. And it, it, it does hit you a little bit wrong for a lot of us when that happens. Of like, I get it. Same with burning a flag. Like, I'm not telling you you don't have a legal right to burn a flag or that we should outlaw it. Oh, it's protest. It's fine. Just understand for some of us, it hits you a little wrong. Yeah, I don't love that. Not really on board with that. Could we, could we maybe figure out another way to do this? No? All right. Fair enough. Uh, it is what it is. All right, so Bitcoin almost hit 50,000, 49,700, I think it got to. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Um, I mean, we've been doing Bitcoin updates here pretty much from the show's inception. Yep. And I remember when we broke 10,000 again, and we were like, hey, 10,000, Bitcoin again. And then we got back to 20,000, and then it's been just basically skyrocket since then. It's amazing. I'm loving it. I mean, it's, I mean, and it's not just Bitcoin. A lot of the alternative coins have, have been going up along with this. Uh, we've talked about in the past um, how most of the price action kind of is a, it's a Bitcoin world and all the other altcoins are kind of just playing in it. So Bitcoin has to be at least in a bullish market, not to have to be going up every single day, but it has to be kind of strong position for these altcoins to actually have price action to the positive and they're all moving up. I mean, this has kind of been the one psychological price point where everybody's like, okay, when it gets to 50, like people are going to sell, right? Or when they figure out how to tax this, like when they come out with rules to be like, all right, as soon as you like every year, you got to pay taxes on your gains starting next year, you'll probably have a bunch of sell-offs. And it's not because Bitcoin's not more valuable. It's because people have made a ton of money and they don't want to get crushed in taxes. So they're going to sell it off when they can based on how it's going to be treated versus a long-term capital gain versus capital appreciation. I, I don't know how they're going to do it. Honest to God. Um, I think it's going to keep going in the long run. Obviously, I think there will be volatility in, in the short run, but I do think that as more people um, lose faith in the stock market and Wall Street and, and all of the traditional government stuff, and I think as our um, U.S. Federal Reserve continues just printing, I don't even bother to print it anymore, creating money on a computer and buying government bonds and calling it real money uh, at levels that were unfathomable even 10 years ago that you're going to have some people really look to cryptocurrencies as more and more of an option and something that they want to be involved with and in turn the businesses the investment companies the institutional investors are going to put more money into because if that's where people are going they want to get ahead of it so yeah, I say right now, I think I just read something that uh, institutions have 20% of the current available Bitcoin. Um, so they have clearly made a substantial interest uh, in Bitcoin. And they don't really have that same kind of interest in these other altcoins. I think there's a little bit of stuff going on with Ethereum, maybe some of these other ones. Um, 
Ethereum seems like it's it's coming into legitimacy of yeah, and it's, on its own. It's a different thing than Bitcoin a little right. bit. I mean, it's a it's a platform versus just a crypto. Um, the Ether token is obviously on the Ethereum network. Um, and it's more for it's a different thing. business yeah. in the blockchain. Yeah. Like that's where the future of Ethereum is, is ultimately going to be from my limited knowledge of what I can gather. But I'm interested in this because all the altcoins are basically touching all-time highs now and Bitcoin is at this psychological number. Is, is this when there's a pullback? Uh, a price so i mean it was a I, huge pullback it pulled back to forty eight thousand six hundred. so you just lost a thousand dollars per bitcoin but that's peanuts in the grand scheme of, of pullbacks like if you look at bitcoin pullbacks they are you know 20 to 40 percent pullbacks right so oh, yeah if we're talking about a 40 percent pullback from fifty thousand, you're talking what thirty thousand dollars right yeah so i mean do you I don't know with the amount of institutional money that has come in if those type of dips are still here because the institutions just gobble up the smaller dips, right? So they don't let them get that deep. And I don't know. I don't know if if they're a thing of the past now because of this kind of new influx of money, but it's it's this is the time where I would be paying attention to if there's going to be some type of correction, you would think, I don't know, 50,000 seems a nice round number to make that happen. Uh, it will. I think the other thing that would cause a pretty good sized dip is if governments started talking about regulation and SEC rules for exchanges and, and tra- like that would cause because one of the benefits right now is or one of the appeals is that it is sort of its own thing. Like it's it's hard for Wall Street firms to like outwardly manipulate this. It's a if you are into it, you're into it. And then, the you know, the counter argument is, what are you going to do with a Bitcoin? But. If people keep buying it, businesses will start accepting it more and more, and it could take on a form of of a currency. Like it's that's not an impossible ideal. It, it sounds crazy, I know, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, it, it could certainly happen. I mean, there's only 21 million Bitcoin, so if that ever becomes a reserve currency, then I mean, imagine having one of only 21 million of those things in a reserve currency situation. There'd be thing I can't even imagine the. No, I yeah, I can't. I can't fathom that. Oh, oh listen, you could have a couple islands. Here's the flip side of that. What if there just was no reserve currency? Because we live in this time when we have the technology that exchange rates are so simple, there is no reason that we Well, it might not be necessarily a, a call the reserve currency, but there's always going to be something functioning as reserve currency in the background. No, like some, I mean, you're going to have to switch currencies when you're in these countries or buying stuff from other countries. Right. There's going to have to be some kind of transaction there. You're going to have to. But, I, so, I mean, there's you're at the point now where it can be based off of each other. Like, I don't sure. think you need to have... Tell that to the Pentagon. I mean, gold obviously is like the what everybody looks to as the reserve currency and honestly probably makes the most sense of anything as a reserve currency. But I don't, is it really necessary or can it all be just sort of agreed upon? And I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is. I guess we'll find out. Well, like, you know, maybe you can look into the BRICS, uh, the, uh, was it Brazil, uh, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. They kind of formed their own little economic uh entity and they've talked about doing exactly what you're trading basically trading amongst themselves with some kind of basket of currency type uh, yeah. a situation so um it's, it would it's, be based on how it would it would cause a world war because the pentagon won't have that but sorry I didn't mean to hit but yeah you're okay you didn't have, you didn't shut down the show ben yes um all right but anyway so uh, you know i'm gonna keep track of bitcoin here for you guys and everything else is going on it's been quite a run um but now is the time where i do have some interest in whether or not uh you know, if there is going to be some kind of correction, is fifty thousand that number? So, hey, we did get a uh, uh, finally some representation in the U.S. congressional uh, uh, the House of Congress there, the People's Party, the People's House. 
down in Washington. February 15th seems like <laughs> as good a time as any. Cla- for these people Claudia Tenney has been sworn in as, uh, uh, again, as uh, congressman, congresswoman, um, serving the New York 22nd District. Uh, Anthony Brindisi conceded. Do you think he didn't want to have a like a bigger thing to maybe they didn't want to get into a Pandora's box of voting tabulations and finding out that maybe things were way off more than they actually were? I don't know. I mean, it seems that there was pretty close race to concede. Yeah, you're talking about a hundred votes separating. Yeah. It would. Uh, I mean, let's hope it was. Let's hope it was uh, with good intentions that he just didn't want to have uh, you know any kind of uh, I don't know misperceptions or whatever of of him trying to challenge it. I guess. But well, if there's any group of people I'm confident to assume good intentions, it is definitely politicians. Yeah, because yeah, they I, usually are not self. I wonder if she was. I wonder if she was sworn in enough to. To vote on the uh, or participate in any of the impeachment stuff for the president, the former president. <laughs> yeah, that that's all wrapped up, by the way, everybody, in case you missed it, as half of us did. Yeah, it's over. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump is uh, has been impeached two times and has been He's undefeated, quitted two times. So, yeah, that was um, a waste. Yeah, I guess that's the best word for it is what a waste of time and resources that turned out to be. I mean, everybody knew it wasn't nothing anyway. So yeah. they're just trying to get the guy not to run for office again. They're doing everything they possibly can, which is what they've been doing for five years. So, so listen, on that front, just, just like two minutes on this topic. All right, so you you impeach. Now, impeaching a president is similar to charging him officially with a crime. And usually for impeachment, it's high crimes and misdemeanors. Usually. Or, like, that's what's written in the Constitution for impeachment is impeached for high crimes or misdemeanors. All right, great. So you think he committed a crime or a misdemeanor in that he incited a riot to overthrow the government. First off, that's the most generous definition of an attempted government overthrow I've ever seen in my entire life. But okay, fine. The problem I had with it all along was... Guys, if this, if what he did, and I'm not saying that he had like a brilliant speech or was really good. No, he's he did what he always does. He he's fiery and he's talking and whatever he's else. P.T. Barnum. Yeah, he's P.T. Barnum. Exactly. He's a showman. So he did that, and then whatever happened at the Capitol building, which was we talked about this a little bit of. It made no sense. Like doors were getting opened, people were getting let in. They were walking through the lines. One guy stole a podium. I'm pretty sure that was Cole Beasley, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and they did all this stuff and it, I, I, to call that an overthrow of the government is like, wait a minute. I, I don't think anybody, there was a dude with a, with a moose antler on standing on the, the house chair. Like this, this guy's not seriously trying to overthrow the government. He's an idiot. Yeah, who there was, found yeah, his way right. In. There was a bunch of people being stupid and violent right. and they should be all charged, but Absolutely. there was no way they were trying to overthrow. Listen, maybe in their heads, they were trying to overthrow the government, yeah. but does anybody really think they're overthrowing the government? Like. With oh. no with no knives or guns or arms or not anything. The like, one dude had a taser and he killed himself with it. Yeah. Like that's who that's who just tried to overthrow the government. Really? Yeah. Okay, so I disagree with your definition of overthrowing the government. And if you can explain to me, well, they interfered with the business of Congress. Cool. So did the protesters for the Justice Kavanaugh hearings that infiltrated the same exact building and shut it all down. Like I'm not seeing these points of distinction from a legal standpoint that would make me go, well, yeah, this is definitely guilty of a government overthrow, and that's not guilty. And the other part of it is, all right, so Trump called them to it. Did he ever actually come out and be like, hey, go overthrow them, remove them from office, and we're taking over? No, he said some insightful stuff. But, again, go to the flip side. Like if, that is some, if that's a high crime for our elected officials, 
wouldn't Maxine Waters have the same for telling all of the people to go and get in the faces of anybody who works in a Trump administration and, and to make them uncomfortable and go visit them and surround them and get a crowd? Like, how, isn't that different? I'm not sure it is. They just pick and choose their battles. Yeah, so if you want to say, like, look, this is this meets the legal threshold of incitement of a riot, like, I don't think you're going to like that standard moving forward because no. just because you don't like Donald Trump doesn't mean that special rules apply to him. It's still the same exact rules. And I said the same thing about the first impeachment of, look, I'm, I don't like that this is how foreign policy is done, but this is how foreign policy has been done for 40 years. If you want to change it, I am in. But I'm not sure that impeaching him over this when every president in the last 40 years has acted the same way meets it. And I'm not sure that anybody who's really pro-impeachment for that Ukraine phone call is going to apply the same standard when their chosen party gets into office. And by the way, that proved to be 100% accurate because nobody's even asking Joe Biden about China anymore. It's like we've just decided that the big guy is good. He's fine. He'll be tough. Don't worry. There's nothing to worry about with him in China. All right. Well, I don't know if he's maybe he's uh, somehow uh, akin to Trump, but uh, our dear own uh, New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, is in quite a firestorm. Mr. Hughes, you mean P.T. Barnum Jr.? P.T. Yeah. Barnum Jr. is in quite a firestorm. He is he hasn't had a press conference in four days, five days, something like that. Um, it's a record for the last year. He likes I to hear himself talk. So, yeah, it's shocking that he's nowhere to be seen. So I'm sure you guys have heard by now. Um Melissa DeRosa, who is uh, one of Cuomo's, if not Cuomo's top aide, uh, I believe she might be like listed as his secretary, um, but she's been with the governor and the governor's administration from the beginning and is integral in communicating his message. She was caught, I don't know if a hot mic is the right thing, but the message was leaked um, in what was a private conversation. Closed door meeting with the other Democrats. With the Democrat leadership, yes. And so she was reported uh, using the words, we froze. He's like, and basically we froze. And this was basically in reference to the DOJ, the Department of Justice, was doing an investigation of nursing homes. And instead of giving the data, the information to anybody who was asking for it publicly uh, through freedom of information request, to instead of doing that, they basically stonewalled the federal investigation by hiding that information, the true nursing home numbers, four months. I mean, we, we talked to Bill Hammond episode 14. So this is episode 37. That's 24 weeks ago. So this has not been new news, if you will. Um, but it's finally been confirmed that the administration has done a coordinated effort to cover up the total number of nursing home deaths in the state while bragging the whole while. So I, I mean, I don't know, like I said, it's, I'm not sure what this does to Cuomo. Um, but this is pretty damning. I mean, I think your description of it was actually flattering for what he actually did. I I mean, so we touched on this last week. Let's back up a a little bit. Cuomo had the executive order that mandated people going to nursing homes. Eventually, that received some pushback. It was in the order of the land for six weeks. And then he, um, in July, on July 6th, the Department of Health released the findings of its own investigation where it said that that executive order did not cause more deaths, did not cause more infections, was following Department of Medicare and Medicaid Services guidelines and was not really the law anyway. That that seemed odd. Um, And so then it turned out, they kept pointing out, like, well, New York State's 38th and 36th in nursing home deaths, so we didn't do anything wrong in nursing homes. And then people kept responding by saying, 
Yeah, but you're not counting them the same as everybody else. You're counting them differently. Like, this is not real data. Everybody else is using, if you got it in a nursing home, go to a hospital and die, you count as a nursing home death. You are looking at it and saying, if you leave the nursing home and die in the hospital after getting COVID in the nursing home, that doesn't count. Look, I don't give, I don't care which way you count them, but you have to be consistent across the board if you're actually going to compare. They didn't. They use those numbers to compare themselves to other states and say, see, we don't have a problem. Well, that's nonsense. Of course you have a problem. And the other issue with this was going back to last March, February, March, you and I were talking about this at that time. And it, I kept, it didn't make sense to me of like, it, the data was so obvious from the beginning of, guys, this is for old people. This is disproportionately affecting the very elderly and nursing homes are going to be what causes all these deaths. And every media outlet came out like, and it's everybody the same. It doesn't matter about your age. It's coming for you. And I'm still looking at the data from all around the world and going, that's not true. Like there are exceptions. Yes. And we have to make sense of those, but this is crazy. So then it was a, Hey, if this is really, we've got 35,000 people that have died in New York state. How many was it? 15,000 of them ended up being nursing home deaths, but we're reporting six. That was what we were reporting early on was 6,000. Yeah, I think the final total was like 9,400 or 9,500 was their final total. Official that was total. only nursing sure. homes. Right. If you include assisted living centers and everything else, which is what every other state again does when they, when they're releasing this data, you're close to 15,000. Oh, yeah. So you're like, look, Nursing homes, assisted living, and all that combined makes up less than 1% of the overall population. And they're responsible for well over, now it's roughly half of all COVID-related deaths. Like, guys, we have the, we know where the problem is. We know where the risk is. But by covering up this information and acting like that's not real, like, like no, well, it's only like 20% that are in nursing homes. That's uh, it's still off. But it's, it's, you're covering up data and we use that data to make real time public policy decisions. So now everything about this was the cover up was worse than the crime. That's, that's my biggest issue with it is the cover up was worse than the crime. I would, I can excuse the executive order. I genuinely can. It was a panic. It was crazy times. We didn't want to overwhelm the health system. That was the really, really big nervous factor. Cause remember when we originally shut down, it was two weeks to flatten the curve, flatten the curve. It was, we can't have everybody get this virus all at once because it'll overwhelm everything. So what we need to do is flatten that out. The same number of people were going to get infected, but we needed to spread it out over a longer period of time because at that point, we understood, epidemiologists understood, everybody acknowledged you cannot stop a virus through non-pharmaceutical interventions. Not with masks, not with distancing, not with business closures, nothing. You can't actually stop it. But if we shut everything down, we can spread it out so that we don't overwhelm the health system and cause more preventable deaths. Remember, that made sense. And now here we are on month 12 of two weeks to flatten the curve in our state. Um, I don't know when we lost our mind and forgot that we can't actually stop a virus in any meaningful way with all of this nonsense that we're trying, but we did. So what we've known for 100 years is we can't. It's aerosol. It spreads. It's too thin. To, it's Wearing a mask is basically like having a chain link fence trying to stop sand. Will it stop some? Sure. Will it stop enough to be meaningful? No, of course not. That's craziness. But don't worry. Two chain link fence back to back. That'll help. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be 80% more effective because 80% more than 1% is one and a half. Like, great job, everybody. Good work here. God, I can't stand this stuff. But anyways, back to Cuomo. So this guy's actively covering it up. 
and he had the nursing home order. It was in effect for six weeks, which was inexcusable because they weren't even tracking nursing home deaths separately until like mid-April. Yeah, and some states had the same order and rescinded it earlier than Immediately. In some states like Florida, which everybody wants to dump on, immediately came out, looked at the data and went, protect the nursing homes. Everything else comes after nursing homes because if it gets into the nursing homes, we're going to lose so many people, especially with Florida's population. All the PPE goes there. Everything goes there. Protect the nursing homes first and foremost. And again, for all of you Cuomo defenders, New York State did not get COVID first. It was like the 14th state in the country where it hit. And I, no, 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 I got it. It's population density. No, it's not. There is absolutely no correlation between population density of a given city and the effects of COVID. New York City is only a densely populated city by the standards of America. Across the world, it's not even in the top 50 of the most densely populated cities in the world. So please look at the actual data. The conduct of this administration is inexcusable. Then to turn around and absolutely, they wouldn't release the number. And Bill Hammond of the Empire Institute came out and said, freedom of information request, give us this number. Now, Bill Hammond is not like Sean and I. He's not like a big, this is all craziness and we're insane. He was a pro-mask guy. He was a pro-distancing guy. He was all in on all of this stuff. And he was tremendously upfront and honest about it when we interviewed him. It was great. But even he was acknowledging, look, we need to make policy decisions off of the actual information. And if you're giving us fact factual information we can make good decisions if you're covering up information we're going to make that policy so please give it to us uh they came out and said well we're going to find it what do you mean you're going to find it you have it all available it, it comes in in real time what do you mean you're going to find it well we need we need six more weeks to to put the, get an intern and give them 12 hours on a spreadsheet they'll have it done no no, no we need six weeks got to double check okay then they came out later on and were like, yeah, we got we to triple check this and verify. Like, Dr. Zucker, this is awful because there is no way the leading doctor in the Department of Health in our state was unaware that nursing home deaths were being counted differently here than everywhere else. There is no way you were unaware of that fact or the fact that it, was a, it would have a significant impact on the data. And yet they paraded out there every single day. And if anybody dared ask them about it, they were like, well, it's just a political attack from the right. Andrew Cuomo went on his brother's show on CNN every night for a week while this order was in effect and never got asked about it one time. Andrew Cuomo went on every show known to man. Nobody asked him about it. Not one person. Everybody was like, oh, Ron Death Santis over here in Florida, but we've got America's governor. The guy won an Emmy. The guy, the best-selling book. And he was nominated as Time's Person of the Year. All the while, he was covering up this information. And now what was so damning about his... What was the secretary's name, the aide's name? Melissa DeRosa. Melissa DeRosa came out and said to the Democrats, Hey guys, we're really sorry. We know that was politically damning for you to have to deal with. But we were really worried that we were going to get investigated by the Department of Justice because Trump Trump sent a letter from his Department of Justice saying, Give us this data. And we didn't want... We we froze. We didn't know what to do with it because we didn't want to give them any data. Now, she was sort of alluding to the fact that she viewed this as a political attack from a right-leaning Department of Justice. And that justified them and this is what she openly admitted, was covering up the data that they knew was damning. So because they were worried about a political, what they viewed as a political attack, what most of us would just call the Department of Justice's job, I don't know, of investigating when things like this happen, they actively and intentionally hid the numbers. They covered them up. They didn't release them because they were damning. And they covered them up for seven months. They've had this information for so long, it's unbelievable. 
this is inexcusable. This is unjustifiable. And if this man is not impeached, it's a joke to even have it as an option. The fact that Donald Trump was impeached for that nonsense on January 6th, Andrew Cuomo actively covered up factual data in the midst of a pandemic that could have helped shape public policy. And my guess is he's not going to be impeached because we live in New York and that's the way it goes. Like, this is why impeachment actually exists because this guy put his own political career ahead of everybody else on the factual basis of we need real data to determine this. But don't worry, I'm sure that the business closures with nothing to do with his ego and was all based on the science. I'm sure the mask mandate, same thing. It's not just him making sure his own political career and that he gets to be this savior of the country. No, 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 I'm sure that part is legitimate. Yeah, I listen. I I don't know how he survives this long he term. Shouldn't. Like, there's no, there's zero. I mean, his you know, Cuomo twenty twenty four is done, right? I mean, this is not a it thing should anymore. Be. Um, so, but this kind of leads um to Cuomo twenty twenty two, right? So, um, we do have uh some things moving forward uh in in relation to Cuomo. So he is now being. With bipartisan support, uh, I think there may even be an urge to to have a, a hearing uh, this week, an emergency hearing where they would be stripping the governor of his emergency powers, um, which I guess kind of serves as like a censure a little bit, not really an impeachment. I mean, it's basically saying, hey, this guy's not doing a good enough job. We're going to strip him of the powers. Long overdue, um, but I'll take it when I can get it. And obviously this order, this Emergency Powers Act, wasn't supposed to end until April 30th. Um, so we'll, we would save two and a half months of this guy's tyrannical reign. Um, if they do pull it off this week, um, I think that's a, at least that the things that should happen is he removes, he's stripped of those emergency powers. I mean, that still leaves the legislature to have to pass certain pandemic laws or regulations or whatever, um, in place of those, I think. So, um, but that should be the, the, the very least that happens to, 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 to governor Cuomo and, you know, because we talked about how New York state is the way it is, the only people who are going to be able to take him out are the New York Democrats, right? So like there's nobody else in position enough who has enough power within the state to actually take this guy out. I don't think the Republicans have it. I don't think anybody else from from an outside uh, uh, perspective has it. It's going to be the New York Democrats. So if the New York Democrats don't see it, and see what they need now. Like this is the time they should be able to just separate themselves from this guy and move forward. I don't think he's well liked even within the Democrats. So like take advantage of the situation. Yeah. Listen, does it put your party in somewhat of a precarious situation in the election where you don't have the, the slam dunk surefire win, but like it's set up for you to win anyway. As long as you have to do, don't run a dud candidate and you, you'll win. You should win by millions of votes. So um, this is the chance for the New York Dems to really kind of, end this guy's career, um, political career at least, and kind of separate themselves from him. And I think it would be in their best interest to do so. Two things. One is the former attorney general of this state. I can't imagine the dirt he has on people because nobody likes him. He got to where he is, not because he's widely popular. No, I shouldn't say nobody. I'm sorry. Like politicians, Democrat politicians don't actually like him from what I can gather. It's There's some other reason that he's gotten to where he's gotten. So, Let's just keep that in mind that that's still a real factor. Number two, stripping his emergency powers is like, uh, yeah, it shouldn't be a bold stand to say that at this point. This is like a guy who just got his fifth DWI and you're the judge going, you know, we should probably take his license away. Like, you think? 
And like I said, there have been calls for, for weeks and months from, from, I mean, this show, we've been talking about it for months. Um, and I believe even the Republican uh, Assembly has tried to have some kind of procedural uh, motion and it's just always dismissed by, by the New York Dems. So um, I, I agree. That being said, not all the Dems are even on side on board right now, right? No. So, like, there's still just a small faction. Um, you know, we have the I'm going to call it unfortunate unfortunate pleasure to have uh, Senator Rachel May, who was the uh, chair of the aging committee, um, which had subpoena power and basically passed on that to subpoena Howard Zucker to get the information, and she what refused did she say to say about it so. again. What was her quote when they, when they asked her about it? Uh, she didn't see the point. She's like, "What's the point?" <laughs> so. The point is we're trying to get the information, right? Like that's, it's basically the equivalent of who cares they died. It's a, Hey, this is not a big deal because it's going to make us look bad. You know, whatever it's a, it's a literally just a way to, to kind of move past the subject. And, you know, she's calling for the removal of powers now too, but it, like her, Wait, it's way past her. I mean, she she should be part of the investigation, um, along with Zucker. I mean, and and, and if she's even, I don't think no, she's complicit. But the fact that she was in position to do something good for the people in her district and chose not to because she didn't see a point means she should not be in office. Yeah, listen, she's responsible for oversight. Like this is why we have different branches of government. It's so exactly this situation doesn't happen. Like, for her to come in and be like, well, what's the point of looking at it now? Be like, same. Let's go back to the DWI analysis. That, that'd be like the cop being like, well, what's the point of looking at his BAC now? Um, because we have to know what happened? Like, I can't believe I have to explain this. This is crazy. Um, and this is what's really sad about our state of politics is how partisan it is. And this is the problem with partisan politics is once you choose a side, you never want to go against that side, no matter what this is so clear so obvious and so indefensible that the fact that people are not angry is just mind-blowing to me and i get it to an extent like look sorry way of saying this i can't stand either political party at this point i'm just done I, I, i'm over it i that it's so in inevitably corrupted it's it's crazy to even think about i like to refer to you as politically homeless I, yeah 100 i am because i can't stand it like you you always get these investigations into these brand new senators about these corruption charges. Do you ever hear about like Chuck Schumer or Mitch McConnell facing an investigation? Do you think it's because they're clean? <laughs> Funny. But all that aside, listen, seriously, look into what Nancy Pelosi has going on with, with business holdings of her husband. Look at Chuck Schumer's business holdings. Not Chuck Schumer, I'm sorry. Look at Mitch McConnell's business holdings through his wife. All right, look at what they own offshore. Look at how much they've profited. For the love of God, insider trading wasn't even illegal until like five years ago for, for senators and congresspeople. Everybody else, it's been illegal for like 30 years. They had a 25-year window where they were the only ones still allowed to engage in insider trading. Like, these people are awful. They're the worst. I can't stand them. And this is what part of the problem is. Why did, I forgot her name again, Rachel May? Nope. The other one, the secretary. Melissa DeRosa. Melissa DeRosa. Why did Ms. Melissa DeRosa feel okay admitting all of this now to the Democrats? Because they have zero worry that the Democrat president or the Department of Justice serving under him is going to actually investigate Andrew Cuomo's handling of nursing homes. They're not even worried about it anymore because they know it's not going to happen. And before any Republicans out there get on your high horse, please don't pretend like it would be any different if it was the Republicans in power. It wouldn't be. This is the dirty game that both parties play back and forth. 
Right now, we're witnessing it on the Democrat side. Something tells me in like four years, we're going to be witnessing it on the Republican side too. And when we do, hey, listen, we'll hopefully still be here talking about it and pointing out the absurdity of all of this being allowed. This is crazy. Neither party gets to claim moral high ground here. They're both awful. And the fact that everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, most people out there, especially if you follow politics, most people seem to have picked a side. And you will defend anything on that side and not look at your own whatsoever. That's why we got to this position because we expe- we allow this to happen from our own politicians. Because if you happen to be a Democrat, you don't want this to be true. You don't want that. You want there to be some justifiable reason because you spent the last year talking about how great Andrew Cuomo is and how awful Donald Trump is. Yeah. How, how much? Uh, how about they're both awful? How much complicity do you put into the media covering Cuomo? I mean, we had. You know, there's the New York Post, which obviously is probably the only paper on a on a or news agency on a regular basis that was reporting even anywhere close to this. But then again, as you pointed out, was being dismissed as you know right wing attack. Um, we had did have a local reporter here, Tim Nouse, who um, did his own investigation in nursing homes, just through kind of like a, a sample of, of nursing homes that he could get some access to. Um, so there were some people out there looking, but on the national media, it was not addressed at all like it was just not even a thing like there was a couple people here in albany um uh doing stuff and maybe some people in new york city who were doing you know some nudging around there but it was largely just not a not a topic be discussed um i know again we you know we talked about it but we're just how much blame do i put on the media a ton you want to know why the media exists for a reason and it has abdicated this responsibility My default setting is to prefer Republican executives because at least when they're in office, the media does its job. That's my honest-to-God default setting, not because of policy, not because I like them, but because at least when that happens, there's a media that actually does its job to hold them accountable and investigate things. I'm sorry, but I think that's a huge, like our, our government, our system of government does not work without that. You need the free press to be a check on all of these things. There's something like a thousand media companies in the, in the, in a country or across the world, so like thousands. They're all owned or 99% are owned by six corporations, six. All of your news is coming from those sources, six sources. They get approval. They get to determine what is said and what is not said. So the media has completely abdicated its responsibility of even last year when we were discussing this and everybody's talking about how great Andrew Cuomo is. Remember when a Cuomo sexual was a thing? That was an actual. I mean, he won a freaking Emmy. He won a freaking Emmy. He wrote a best-selling book on leadership, lessons in leadership. And then the next week came out, we're like, we're at halftime in this COVID thing. You wrote a book at halftime? Anyways, he's coming out and saying all of this. And you and I discussed this on the show almost every week. We felt like broken records of like, he's taking a victory lap. We have the worst results of any state in the country, and it's not close. It's so, it's like we are accountable for half of the deaths in the country. Like, it was awful how bad we did, especially early on, and how mishandled it was. Like the Javits ship that got sent up there to serve as a, as a place for non-COVID patients to go. That was the goal. It was like, all right, just to make sure we don't overwhelm. If people don't have COVID, we'll send them to the, to the Javits site. The first patient had COVID. They didn't get through one patient before they infected the ship with COVID. You couldn't write that level of stupidity into something. It's amazing how badly they did this. And yet somehow he was this media darling that they were unallowed to push on, that they were, un- they, they were forbidden from calling out what was so blatantly obvious of, hey, your press conferences are really good, 
what happened? And he kept saying, well, it's, you know, Trump didn't tell us it was coming from Europe. Okay, cool. Did he tell the other 49 states? Because none of them seem to have your issues. <laughs> well, we're an international hub. Sure. So is Atlanta. So is Washington, D.C. So is Los Angeles. You know, Dallas, Fort Worth. There's some other states that would count. Now, maybe they're not all as much international travel as New York, but shouldn't their numbers have been close? Yeah, and, and you know, I guess maybe to your point is the media didn't check any of that stuff, nope. right? They didn't. They didn't actually find out if that was actually factually correct or true, or, or even made a difference. They just kind of ran with it and supported his the, the notion that I don't know he was doing great. Um, I don't know. I, you know, it couldn't I, have it, it couldn't have it to a nicer guy here. I mean, this dude's a jerk. So, um, I despise the media probably more than I despise the political parties. I like I am just so fed up and done with them. Well, right, because I and, and maybe to your point is like I, if the media is not going to hold the politicians to account, then they're going to run amok, right? And so right. like I I understand why they're running amok because nobody's holding them to account. So no, they're cheerleading them. Yeah, right. They're, and they like, actually they're actually running. I mean, I remember Ben Rhodes <clears throat> saying this. Uh, ben Rhodes was the former something to Barack Obama, like an advisor on international affairs, very involved with the Iran Treaty. And what he said in his memoir was something that I'm not going to exactly quote this here, but you'll get the idea. He said most of these news organizations don't have foreign correspondents like they used to because it's not cost effective. So basically, they have reporters that don't know anything about the foreign affairs. So we go in and tell them what we want them to know, and then they turn around and report that as news, whatever we said the talking points were. Now they use that as their baseline, and we're able to shape the story. Like, this is saying the quiet part out loud. It's happening. And I listen, yeah, Fox News is a joke. Cool. So is OAN. So is Newsmax. So is CNN. So is MSNBC. So is C-SPAN. Well, not C-SPAN. So is ABC, CBS. So is NPR. Like, they are all jokes. They are all there not to provide you with objective news and the information that you can form your own analysis. They all have a political party that is the predominant basis of their viewership and they are all serving that base so that they can get more viewers, get more ad dollars, and make more money. It's not rocket science to follow and figure this out. But if you're quick to dismiss Fox News as a joke of a news organization, please keep in mind that CNN literally let Chris Cuomo interview Andrew Cuomo multiple times in the midst of a pandemic where his state was having the highest death tolls of any, and they didn't bring up any counterpoints to actually hold him accountable. Instead, they brought in a prop of a giant Q-tip because apparently Andrew Cuomo's got big ears. Big nose. Oh, is it a nose? Yeah. My bad. Like, okay, this is news. Yeah, no, it was... what. This like whole said, thing is a joke, and this I'm, is why people like Donald Trump get elected because it's a parody of what it's supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, and I, I, listen, I, you know, I'm I'm assuming that this, you know, a week from now, we're going to have a bunch more to talk about this. I can't imagine this thing is going away. Um, there seems to be a, a building full core press to kind of make this a thing for him. So, and like I said, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So you hate to see it. And 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 real quick to touch on COVID before we get to uh, you guys, stick around. We have a. Uh, great guest uh, at the end of the show here, Dr. Mindy Pels. She is going to uh, talk all things intermittent fasting. We talk about, uh, you know, what is it? Who is it for? What are the benefits? Uh, ben wanted to know what he can get, what he can drink on, uh, you know, on a social night out. 
Listen, act as if that's not something that you would want to oh, know great, before you commit to something. Great, great let's, question. Let's be great real. Like, intermittent fasting sounds good. You go long periods of time without eating. It's good for your body. It helps your cells regenerate. There's all these health benefits. But at some point, the pragmatist in you comes out. If you happen to like marijuana, you're going to want to know what the effects are. I don't particularly smoke marijuana. I do drink alcohol, and that was one of the first things is, hey, I like to have a drink. So if I'm going to have a drink, because it's going to happen, what should I drink to make it the least bad. I'm not I'm not going for like what works and fits. Like what's the least bad? That was what I wanted to know for. Yeah, I think I I think she enjoyed the interview. She seemed like we touched on some <laughs> questions that uh, she probably doesn't normally get asked. So I'm not um, pretending to be a health guru. Like look at me. I, I am what I am. I do enjoy intermittent fasting, but I just want to know, like, hey, if I drink a bourbon versus a vodka, is it like one ten times worse? Cause I can switch it up and make it work. I just gotta know how to make this work all fit in. All right. Well let's let's quickly touch on uh the <laughs> plummeting cases of COVID in the country here. Um, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's because of, Joe Biden is president and oh. we are following the science now as evidenced by all of the policy changes. I mean, and also two masks, <laughs> right? That's the masks. Um, I don't, I mean, I, listen, seasonality is the, the first and foremost thing that I'm going to kind of always bring up to because this is about the time when things start to go down, but we're, we're down to like, I don't know, less than a hundred thousand cases now. Um, so wait, are you trying to elude that this might actually mimic previous sudden acute respiratory syndrome strains that lasted somewhere between one to two years with furious infection rates, but a decreasing mortality and then started to flame out right around 18 months. Yeah. Stop it. I mean, Science I'm just denier. a bartender, but Science that's how denier. it goes. So this is how f- this is false information. I don't know. Like I said, I I'm gl- obviously very happy that the as we all should be, you know, that it's going down. Um, I we still haven't found the flu. It's still on a couple milk boxes, milk cartons. Honest flu- to God, if you could trade COVID for the flu, if you, I'm in. Right, I'm in too. I'm sorry. Not listen. I'm going to be old one day, and I don't want anybody to die from COVID. You could die from the flu too, though. Right, that's my point. Is it? But if you gave me an option from a, a I'm, that is the wrong word, but macroeconomic standpoint of like, if I was designing this for the betterment of society, and I was like, well, I got two of them that are both pretty deadly. One really targets people that are over the age of seventy five. The other one targets everyone from five year old children all the way up to and including those over eighty five. Yeah, I don't I, think that makes me a bad person. No, <laughs> like, I, I, uh, and I, I wish I should. I probably could have pulled it up. I, there was some inter, uh, study there, or some kind of projection or something that I saw where they basically were doing life years. So, like, um, how many life years were lost from the flu for, during a typical year versus life years lost from COVID? And it was, you know, mind-bogglingly different. I mean, the life years that are taken away from flu, obviously somebody who dies at three and their average life expectancy is... 80 whatever 78 you have 75 years life loss well when they're 80 and they die which is the average age of death and 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 covid is 83 now you're not affecting the life years at all you're actually you know it's it's just i would trade i would trade the flu for covid or the covid for the flu every every season that we could we are also like i would venture to guess based on the studies that i've read we have lost more life years to the response than we did to COVID. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's I, not there's, really close. They're, they're closing in on a million at-home deaths between the ages of 18 and 44, right? So these are non-COVID deaths of people who have died at home. It was like 896,000 over what we did last year. So um, you have to assume that most of those deaths are lockdown-related. Um, 
they're, they're not COVID related. And you know, most of those are going to yeah. be deaths of despair, the overdoses and suicides or, accidents, or victims yeah. of, or accidents. And, and there's probably more instances of domestic violence and child abuse. These are th- all, you know, symptoms of the lockdown that go unreported, but we all know how many, you know, COVID deaths we have every single day here in the County in the state in the country, wherever, because they make sure that those, those numbers are most important. So it's almost um, like they want you to live in fear because if you read 18 more people die of COVID, you're more likely to click the link and that shows the pay-per-click. That's not a pay-per-click, but the advertising is 100% based on how much engagement they get. And you're going to share that too versus something else that goes, that goes in the other direction. So this is my point on the media has completely abdicated its responsibility overall, complete abdication on both sides of the aisle of it's, it's entertainment. It's not news anymore. It's all like, well, we don't need to cover both sides because one side is evil. No, we just, just cover the facts of it and put things in context. That's all I'm asking for is I hope I'm, I'm hoping the long-term benefit of a Donald Trump presidency is people that have gotten engaged and realized how insane our system is right now as far as foreign aid, spending, executive powers that have been assumed, Patriot Act type stuff, um, and foreign policy in general and how it's negotiated. I hope that these people continue to pay attention because then they'll realize it wasn't Donald Trump. It is the office. It is what we have allowed the office to become. And all of these past presidents have moved the needle a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. Jeez, a little bit further. And now we're here. So I'm hoping that we keep paying attention to this because I agree with you. It is wrong. It is absolutely wrong. Why I don't support impeachment for this stuff is because I'm I'm going for consistency. I didn't ask for Barack Obama to be impeached. I didn't ask for George W. Bush to be impeached. Oh, hindsight twenty twenty. I mean, they all could be impeached for war crimes. That's what that I was just thinking of. Like, yeah, <laughs> hindsight being twenty, and and even like drone drone strikes and everything else. So we're finally like Donald Trump has the most drone strikes in Afghanistan of any president. Right. Also, the only president to not start bombing a new country while in office since, since Jimmy, Jimmy Car- Carter. Carter. Like, they also God, ran him out of Dodge too. So yeah, they did. They got they got rid of him real quick. Um, but what's war, going on right now? The health of the state. Yeah, like, hey, stop. I'm telling you right now, I'm just hoping people will actually start paying attention to this and continue to pay attention and hold the same level of ridicule and of skepticism of all of these politicians because they deserve it. And Donald Trump is just as bad as the rest. My point all along for the last four years is he's not worse. He's just like, he's not better, but he's just like everybody else. This is a symptom of a larger problem. What we are doing right now, as far as government spending, is insanity. Like I, we literally, I, I just finished reading uh, the Ron Paul book, by the way. I forgot to bring it back to you, but I finished reading End the Fed, and he talks about the unsustainable debt accumulation that we were at in 2009, and it was $2 trillion. And it was like, this is absurd, and it's going to get to 10 based on all of this, and that is just completely unsustainable. Folks, we're at thirty trillion dollars of debt now as a nation. Do you think they ever expect to pay that back? It's impossible. Not that, there's not a chance. You can't. Of I don't care what you do. We went from twenty trillion dollars of debt at the end of two thousand and nineteen, and we are at all or twenty nine. 
So we're almost $30 trillion in debt. Like, And please, tell me that we're going to do a wealth tax. Even if that's constitutional, which I'm not sure of. Okay, great. We're going to do a wealth tax. Brilliant. There's not even a trillionaire in the entire world right now. There's some billionaires. So best case scenario, what's the wealth tax going to get you? A trillion dollars? Not enough. Great. Whatever it is. National debt's back down to $28 trillion. Problem solved, everybody. Oh, we're going to yeah. do it again? It's not like they're tax? stopping spending. Spending will increase. So they're of course gonna, it will. You know. This is the point of like, guys... Please start paying more attention and looking at how crazy this is. There are very few good guys, very few good women, good men serving in the national in the national uh, political parties. They're just not. They are self-serving. They have nonsensical stuff to make sure they continue to get elected. They take care of their own to make sure they keep moving up the chains. And if what they do happens to do some good for the country, well, then great. But it's not priority number one. And we they rely on us being ignorant and partisan they rely on the fact that you're never going to fact check what your own party does you're just going to go after the other one we have to stop because i'll this is the terrible path that we're on right now it's not going to end well amen all right so let's we we have our guest talk uh, about intermittent fasting let them know what yeah, it is you've been doing this a long do. so time. I've, been, I've been doing it for about three years um and some of the you know three years ago i stumbled across Dr. Mindy Pels, and so we invited her onto the show. Um, she is, I don't know, intermittent fasting guru is the right word, but she is very informative. Uh, she is a like keynote speaker. She has multiple podcasts. She has multiple books. There's that. This is what she does. So um, I can't remember exactly when I stumbled on her, but I find her very informative. Uh, we touch on some uh, some of the basics again. We talk about you know what is intermittent fasting. Who benefits from it? Uh, you know how, how to do it. What counts as a breaking of the fast? These are all things we touch on, and it's and more we, than just dietary. There yeah. are other health benefits that we wanted to get into. Right, and that's that. that's some of the reason why we had around because um, some while I was doing intermittent fasting, most people who asked me were like, "Why are you doing intermittent fasting? You don't need to lose any weight." And again, without getting into a necessarily what the right weight discussion is, it wasn't really about that for me. It was more about trying to promote a healthier body. So um, there are some health benefits that come along with fasting that are more than just weight loss. Obviously, you can lose weight loss if you're limiting your, your caloric intake um, and you can have great success doing weight loss there, but there's, it's more than that. And um, that's why we kind of wanted to have Mindy on or Dr. Mindy on. And I think she uh, did a great job kind of breaking it down for us. Agreed. It so. was a great interview. I actually, I learned a lot out of it and I'm, I'm glad that we had her on. It was It was hugely helpful and it's not something like, listen, I know people out there get nervous when they hear the idea of fasting of like, no, I just, I need to do this. It's, it's something that if you decide to go for it, just go in and understand it's not just that, all right, well, you'll probably lose some weight or maintain it better. There's other health benefits to it. So definitely something to look at. Listen to the interview. Go check out Dr. Mindy on her website. Uh, check out some of the videos. Check out some of the information. If you decide it's not for you, great, but at least go in and look at it because it was something I had never even considered up until about a year ago. I didn't even know what it was. And then I started looking into it and decided, you know what, that's that's a lot. I think it makes sense, so let's yeah. start it. And, and we, now we don't I, I learned I was doing it wrong, at least in some areas. And there are little changes I can make to probably make it much more effective we, than a We didn't now. talk about autophagy specifically, but that was the uh, Nobel Prize winning uh, discovery, uh, maybe in 2017 or 16, I think it was. Um, I think it was a Japanese doctor who found this basically when you reach uh, 16, 17 hours in fasting, and, and Dr. Mini talks about this a little bit, your body starts to eat its own cells for fuel, uh, starting with basically corrupted cells, right? So if you have a disease or, or some kind of uh, uh, a growth in, in the body, it uses the bacteria, it uses those things for fuel uh, instead of 
anything else. So it actually starts to rid the body of this, of these toxins and makes you a better, uh, makes you healthier. So, um, I don't know. Like I said, it was a, a, a good, a great interview. I, I, I was glad she came on. Um, again, I, I'm, I've been able to do this fasting pretty, I don't say easy, but like I just eliminated breakfast and, uh, you know, I use my, my sleep and my, uh, mornings to, to fast. And then I'd eat a late lunch. It's, it's been easier than I would have thought it would have been if you had told me I was doing this three years ago anyway. Sure. I agree with that. So, all right. Well, Mr. Husong, anything else you'd like to leave the uh, folks with before we uh, bring in Dr. Mindy? Nah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I think you had good some good rants today, so <laughs> we'll leave <laughs> them at that. So, all right, guys. So, again, I remind everybody to uh, subscribe to our YouTube page because we are moving the live stream over to YouTube. Um, we're going to do that because I can't. You make can't sure stay that I'm out of Facebook jail. I can't stay out of Facebook jail. I mean, I've only been in there once, but it's once is enough. So, um, but like the, like the, like the videos, um, subscribe to the page, hit the bell notification so that when we post new contact, you will be, uh, um, notified of that and enjoy our interview here with, uh, Dr. Mindy. And we will see you all again next Monday. I want to welcome to the show a nutrition and functional medicine expert who has spent over two decades helping thousands of people successfully reclaim their health. She's a recognized leader in alternative health field and a pioneer in the fasting movement. Her popular YouTube channel combines the latest science with practical lifestyle tools every person can use to reset their health. She is the host of one of the leading science podcasts, The Resetter Podcast, and the author of three best-selling books, The Menopause Reset, The Reset Factor, and The Reset Kitchen. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Mindy Pels. Dr. Mindy, thank you for joining us uh, from sunny San Jose. Is that where you are? <laughs> yes, I am. We are yes. in the frozen tundra of Syracuse, New York, so uh, yes. quite, a different, uh, quite a different backdrop here. But thank you again for taking the time. Oh, I'm, thank you for having me. Like I said, I just love talking about fasting. So any opportunity to get people turned on about fasting, I'm up for. Well, let's, let's get right into that. So what what is fasting, intermittent fasting? What is autophagy? What are some of the basics that we need to kind of know just to kind of uh, uh, kind of enter into this uh, world of fasting? Yeah, I think the, the high-level idea around fasting is to realize that the human body was not designed to eat all day. So this is like the first sort of mind shift that we are meant to go for periods without food. And when we do that, there are literally miracles and chemicals that start to uh, get sparked inside our body that promote healing. So what we have been taught about breakfast being the most important meal of the day, eating six meals a day, speeding up our metabolism, all of this is what I call urban myths. There's, I, I've dove into the science trying to find anything that could back up these things that we've believed in for so long. I can't find anything. We are meant to operate and do come from a place of what I call metabolic switching, where we eat sometimes and we fast sometimes. And when you're switching in and out of eating and fasting, you actually accelerate healing in the body. All right. So this is more than just a weight loss plan then, right? So yes. this is a, a, a health plan, a, a lifestyle plan, a, a way to be a better person than just a way to lose weight. Yeah, so this is really interesting because what happens, with, people come to fasting because of weight loss. Um, and you can lose weight. I mean, in our resetter group, it's crazy. We've watched people lose over 100 pounds easily by approaching uh, just adding fasting in. 
But uh, if you look at what weight is, weight is really excess. Your body had to find a place to store excess sugar, excess hormones, excess toxins. So it stored it in your fat. And it made more fat so that it would, it's actually like a safety mechanism so that it doesn't store it around your organs. So with fasting, what happens is you're actually going after that stored fat. So there is a weight loss piece to it. But what people don't under, uh, don't uh, often talk enough about is there are a lot of other really cool things that happen. Like you mentioned, autophagy, the cells will start to clean themselves up. Your body makes ketones. Ketones go up into the brain, and they start to repair neurons in the brain. Uh, inflammation goes down. We see even like genes uh, for cancer can get turned off. So there's so much more to the story than just weight loss. And so that makes it seem like this intermittent fasting can be for anybody, or is there a certain type Absolutely. It's not even that it could be, it should be. It's like it should be for everybody. People, if you just take the diet you're doing and you you add on intermittent fasting, you will get so such a better result from that than just the diet alone. All right. So I I mentioned before we went on, so I've been intermittent fasting for about three years and I've had questions asking me, why are you doing this? You don't need to lose any weight, whatever. And, you know, that's all relative, I guess, depending on what you're looking at. But I, I, I decided to do it not for weight loss, but for the health benefits. Um, I don't know if there's a way to necessarily measure that. I feel good, um, which I guess is probably the ultimate way to measure pretty much any way of, of, of lifestyle change. So I feel good. It wasn't that difficult for me. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I wasn't much of a breakfast person. I basically removed breakfast from my life. I, on a side note, I'm a bartender, so sometimes my uh, uh, eating schedule can be quite different than most other people's. Um, yeah. But by removing that, that morning food, it wasn't that difficult. After a while, it just became a, a pretty much easy habit. Um, you know, I usually don't eat. I eat a late lunch. I, you know, I can eat dinner whenever I do. I'm, I'm almost never short of like 12 hours, 14 hours, but I, I very frequently get to 16, 17 hours. Um, I'm always focused on what's tripping my fast. So it becomes, you know, you know, when I always mark when the last time I ate, so I kind of know where I'm at. Um, and then I'm trying to figure out what's tripping the, 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 the fast. So is it any calorie? Yeah, that's a great question. This is like actually the million dollar question that everybody okay. wants to know. What breaks the fast? Um, so it's any time, anything that will raise your blood sugar. So think of it like this. When you're, when you go to bed at night, your blood sugar starts to go down. So when you wake up the next morning, if that blood sugar continues to go down, it will trigger what we call your ketogenic energy system. So when your blood sugar hits a, a, a low enough spot, all of a sudden you switch over into this energy system. And we know this energy system has been triggered from the presence of ketones. So like when you say like it hasn't been that hard i'm not surprised because with ketones in your blood ketones go up into the brain and they start to shut off the hunger hormone so that's why it becomes easier and easier to fast so if you have a cup of coffee in the morning for most people the cup of coffee is not going to raise their blood sugar if you put uh cream in your coffee may not raise your blood sugar. You put coffee mate in there, now you got some chemicals and maybe some sweeteners, now it's going to raise your blood sugar. And once your blood sugar goes back off, it shuts off that ketogenic pathway and you're now out of a fasted state. So there are like 
teas and coffees, um, even fat. A lot of stay in a in a um, in that fasted state by having a scoop of uh, MCT oil or or ghee or even like a nut butter or an avocado. It's something fat rich won't doesn't always spike your blood sugar. So, so it's really about what spikes. And that. so, can you touch on artificial sweeteners at all? Does that is that something that's going yeah. to spike the sugar? So, like, I'd like to think I'm healthy and I have these organic energy drinks that are, you know, they don't have, there's stevia and there's, uh, I don't know, I feel like a sugar alcohol, maybe like xylitol or something in there. Um, do those all do, are they breaking the fast because they're they're raising your blood sugar? Yeah, those start to become a, like a, a personal situation. So, like, I will tell you, NutraSweet, for example, actually does spike your blood sugar and will spike insulin, so it can pull you out of a fasted state, even though it has no sugar in it. Um, uh, stevia, for some people, they can get away with it. Some people can't. Monk fruit, some of the alternative sweeteners, some people can get away with it. Some people can't. So the, here's how you know. You take a blood sugar reader and you test your blood sugar and then you drink the drink or, that you are curious about and then you take a half an hour later another reading. If your blood sugar stays the same or dips down, you're good. If it boosts it up, now you're out of a fasted Should state. Should you do that test while you're in a fasted state? Okay. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Good point. Uh, so, Dr. Mindy, how long do you recommend fasting for? Like, what's the what's the baseline and then what's optimal? What do you, what's the goal? Yeah. Well, I would say everybody should try for at least 13 to 15 hours almost every day. And the reason for that is the research is incredible. I mean, it shows that inflammation will go down. You're in this ketogenic fat-burning energy place. Um, and you also uh, start to secrete something called growth hormone. And growth hormone slows the aging process down. It burns fat. There's great research for women on 13 to 15 hours of fasting every day. They had a, uh, women with breast cancer had a 70% less reoccurrence of breast cancer if they did intermittent fasting for 13 to 15. So it's, a, it's like a sweet spot. Almost everybody can get themselves there. But then after that, there's still some really cool things that kick in. So 17 hours of fasting, you get something called autophagy. And autophagy is where the cells start to clean up any bacteria or viruses that might be inside the cell. It will start to kill, kill those pathogens. It repairs like proteins and organelles, cleans the cells up. At 24 hours, you get a whole rebooting of your intestinal stem cells. So anybody with gut issues can do really well with 24. And then the Mac Daddy is a three-day water fast, and the research on that is it can reboot your whole immune system. So it's, I always say it's what you want to do. It's up to, up to you. But intermittent fasting should be a daily habit for sure. So daily should be 13 to 15 hours, and then strive for 17 if you can once or twice a week, once or twice a month. And yeah. how often would yeah. you do the three-day water fast? Yeah, three-day water fasts are like once a year, maybe twice a year if you just want to have a good reboot to your um, But they're not done right now. And we recommend, I usually tell people to do what we call a 5-1-1. So five days a week, you intermittent fast, 13 to 15 hours. One day a week, you push your fast. Try to do it a little longer. Uh, if you can go 17, great. If you want to go 24, go 24. And then one day a week, actually don't fast. That's sort of the, uh, or do whatever you feel like doing, because it's the variation. Again, 
We're made for this metabolic switching. We're made to eat food and we're made to go without food. So we should be able to go in and out of these metabolic states effortlessly. And if we're not, then we are actually, it's a sign that our mitochondria, our cells are not healthy. Interesting. So let me just get one more if you don't mind. Um, All right. So now the fasting is good. What types of foods would we want to eat versus stay away from anything that would affect the autophagy, the overall benefits, um, processed, non-processed, proteins, carbs, fats, whatever it might be? It's a great question. So the refined flours, the refined sugars, and the inflammatory oils, so like your canola oil, your uh, cottonseed oil, corn oil, soybean oil, those are going to make it more difficult for you to switch over into this fat-burning ketogenic place, and it'll make your fasting a lot harder. So the first thing I say is take all the refined stuff out. Um, before you decide you're going to count macros or go keto or anything like that, Just let's just clean up your diet. Take out refined flours, take out refined sugars, and work on your oils. And then fasting will be really much easier. Am I good with olive now, oil? If you want it, olive oil is good as it's technically you're not supposed to cook with it so avocado oil it once olive oil heats up it it becomes an inflammatory oil. you just ruined my whole day honestly <laughs> I, I know I sorry cook everything with olive oil i love olive oil all right so i gotta use avocado yeah. oil now yes Tell avocado me. oil yeah or here's the other trick when you're cooking with olive oil, you just if you're putting it in a pan, you don't want it the pan to heat up where it's like smoking. You don't want it once it smokes. Now it's turned. That's the indication. Oh, it's I don't do that. I use it as like a coating on the pan, and then it absorbs in the food. Yeah. I'm good again. All right, we're friends again, Doctor Minnie. Let's keep going. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so refined sugars, refined flours. Is that like homemade pastas and stuff like that? Try to minimize or yeah. or what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, minimi- minimize. I mean, you can go and. The next layer is where people are going to a world where they're keeping their carbohydrates under 50 net carbs. So that would be next level. But if you're just looking to, like, try these principles on, try intermittent fasting 13 to 15 hours, and then it'll be a lot easier if you stay away from those foods I mentioned. So it sounds like some of this you're saying um, with the intermittent part or changing up the the fasting is kind of like interval training where people are actually doing training, right? They're keeping their body off guard, so you're kind of keeping your body off guard in another way? Ah, it's so well said. So there's something in the body called a hormetic stress. And a hormetic stress is a positive stress on the body. So interval training is a great example of that, HIIT training. What we found is in short spurts of stress, the body repairs itself. And that's really what intermittent fasting is doing, is you're putting, so you want it to be a little uncomfortable, you know, because you're putting just enough pressure on your cells that they start to heal. And it's, that's the coolest part is you don't need a supplement. You don't need something from the outside in. You just need to know how to use these principles so that your body can heal itself. All right. So let's take what we've learned here and apply it to the world of COVID here. So we've been going through, uh, I don't know, almost a year now here of uh, the pandemic. Um, it's, a, it's been a health issue. How can intermittent fasting play a role in helping us uh, get out of this and helping us minimize any future uh, pandemics that might be something like this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you for asking this because if there was one thing everybody's mind right now is that intermittent fasting is a beautiful way to improve your immune system. And here's why, especially with viruses. 
So viruses don't have their own energy source. They have to live off of your energy source. So if a virus comes into a cell that's a sugar burner, it is actually going to gain momentum. So you are giving it energy and it can move on to the next cell and replicate much faster in your body. If it comes into a cell that's a fat burner, that's in this ketogenic energy system, that virus will come in and it literally dies. It will not replicate. So the name of the game right now, if we could get everybody in. individual. The second piece that we're not talking enough about is that the coronavirus will camouflage itself in sugar. So a lot of sugar, you're staying in that sugar burner place. Not only are you giving that virus energy, but you're also to be camouflaged so your own immune system cannot detect it. So when we hear 10 days, 14 days from the time of exposure for you to get a symptom, well, a lot of that is because it takes your immune system that long to figure out that it's there. Well, in those 10 days, if you've been eating sugar, you've, you've just given that virus so much energy that it can start to move around your system in a really bad way. And then that's the whole cytokine storm. Now you've got this cytokine storm that started and you, all of that could have been avoided by being more in this fat-burning place. So this is a, a way of preparing ahead of time for any future, yes. right? So you're keeping, yes. you're keeping your body ready for an eventual, you know, another virus is going to enter. It doesn't have to be COVID, right? This is, can be uh, the flu or any other viruses? Any, any virus, you know. And they, the, I think one of the things that's the most disturbing about this moment in history is that this virus is now... Uh, mutating, and they keep talking about how we're going to see more viruses. Okay, well, at that point, there becomes the question of, well, what can I do so that I just am not a good viral host? And the number one thing you can do is function from this ketogenic fat burning place more often so you don't give viruses energy. And the best way to do that is through intermittent fasting. All right, I'm going to switch gears altogether right here because it's my nature to try to like play within the rules without outright cheating so alcohol intake if somebody is prone to drink what are the various alcohols whether it's beer whiskey vodka tequila whatever that will do the most harm to the benefits of intermittent fasting versus the ones that will be the least bad for you if you happen to know the answer to that i I love this question nobody ever asked me this question you guys are awesome um, okay, so for starters, anything with a sweetener, let's talk about what you're going to mix your alcohol with. So if you're going to mix your alcohol with a sweetener, um, like a pina, let's just use a pina colada or like a sweet cocktail, that puts you in sugar burner state. And the higher your sugar levels go, your blood sugar levels go, the more difficult fasting will be. So the first thing is like if you had to choose between like a um, – Let's think of something like, you know, we'll just use pina colada as an example, not that very margarita. Okay, if you had to choose between a margarita or a vodka soda, like a vodka soda would be a better choice if you're trying to uh, do more fasting. So that's how it works on cocktails. The other thing you can look at is look at where the alcohol comes from. So um, when you look at like beer, beer comes from a grain. 
and grains typically spike your blood sugar higher. So, and wine can be the same way, although there's some exceptions to that. There's low alcohol wines that are emerging that have literally will not take you out of a fasted state. So, and we've tested it. But if, with beer and wine, you're looking at grains and grapes, and both of those can spike blood sugar. So you're back at like a boring old vodka soda would be your best bet, something where you're not spiking your blood sugar. And again, you could test it. You could test it and see. You should. Um, the, other thing we've, the other thing we've tested is uh, what, can you break your fast with alcohol? That's probably an even better question. And you have to remember that because we get a lot of people that are fasting all day and then they go out to dinner or they come home at the end of the day and they want to have their glass of wine. And the thing to remember is your liver is not – you're going to probably process that alcohol very quickly and you may get drunk a little quicker. You might feel the effects of it a little quicker. So if you do start playing with alcohol and fasting, just be aware that your tolerance may be down. Interesting. So don't get the twist with your GMO. Listen, I'm not the one. <laughs> um, I, I, on, a, on a maybe somewhat related note, I'm assuming this doesn't affect, but maybe you have insight onto uh, cannabis as a, does that affect fasting at all one way or the other? I mean, I know there's not really caloric intake, but. Well, so here's what's interesting is anything that spikes your cortisol levels is going to spike your blood sugar. And so with alcohol and cannabis both, they tend to have an immediate relaxation uh, feeling. And so as your body relaxes, your uh, glucose can go down. So I haven't seen the research, but I would think that it could actually be supportive and helpful and not the opposite. Whereas with alcohol, you're raising blood sugar, so you have to be careful there. But with cannabis, you're not raising blood sugar you're actually relaxing the body i think it could actually be a helpful tool score for me <laughs> um <laughs> allegedly so, so um hypothetically we live in new york sean I, right well a couple weeks you um, gotta come to california i <laughs> know i know i have here. friends i have friends um uh mr Hughesong, anything else for dr Minnie? because i want to kind of see if we missed anything uh, if she wants to kind of fill in anything but i want to know if you missed anything yourself I mean, I think we covered most of it. It's follow a good diet even when you are intermittent fasting. Don't go crazy. And then it sounds like maybe you want to stick with tequilas, vodkas, that kind of stuff over the scotches, the bourbons, and that kind of stuff. The clear is probably over the darks. Is that that baseline correct? Yeah. Yeah, so you – and you – it's probably not better than me, but if you look at, like, they're made – they're like made from a um, like a grain, right? Yeah. Like they're, yeah, they can, they're yeah. so you got to look at what the, what the alcohol is made from, and grains typically will raise the the blood sugar higher. What about it versus potato? So some vodkas are made from potato. Right, that's why vodka does better. Okay. Potatoes, it doesn't do, spike it as much. And what about agave? That's tequila. I'm yeah, sure that's sugar. Uh, yeah, it can spike your blood sugar, but tequila doesn't seem to do better. Now, there's a lot of belief that tequila has an antibacterial piece to it, that there's like it helps support your microbiome. So that could be why tequila tends to do better. But we find tequila and vodka definitely don't spike the blood sugar as much. 
um, the whiskeys, uh, and what gin is like ju- juniper, right? So uh, I don't, I'd have to test that yeah, one. I'm I don't want to sure. drink gin anyway, so yeah. I wouldn't worry about that. All right, it sounds like I need to go pick up some Hugh Song's tequila. Is what it's, is what it sounds like. <laughs> I, I think we, I think we covered a lot of the questions we had. So, Doctor Mindy, is there, is there anything that we didn't touch on, or anything that we touched on that we want to expand on a little bit further? Something uh, that we might have uh, like overlooked, real quick. Yeah, no, the most important thing for people to know if they're hearing this for the first time and they're like, I don't, this is so foreign to me, is that actually the human body was designed to fast. So if you go back and you think about like how we were is we didn't just like come out of the cave and have access to food. We had to go hunt for food. So the body is made to stay alive. So we are designed to go without food. And I think what happens is that's scary for people when they first make that shift. They think they're going to pass out. They don't understand what's going on. But as you work that muscle more and more and more, it just gets easier and easier. And all of a sudden, it's really cool because you don't have to actually worry about your diet as much as you start to fast more because you just start to see that you're naturally not hungry. Okay. I think, uh, I think that was pretty informative. Um, I will uh, make sure to share all of your links uh, that I have here. Uh, you guys can check out drmindypels.com and kind of start from there. Um, Dr. Mindy, I thank you for your time and uh, enjoy uh, whatever the weather is out in San Jose and we'll be thinking of you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And, yeah, thanks again for the opportunity. I just want people to experience fasting because it's just the coolest thing. And uh, more people need to be doing it. Right. So I appreciate your help. Awesome. I, I, even on a personal level, I thank you. So um, oh, keep up the good work. Yeah, you do the same. Thank you. Thanks. Uh-huh. Bye. All right, everybody. Dr. Mindy Pels, go check her out at drmindypels.com, and we will see you all again next Monday. Thank you for tuning in.